Chapter Nine of From Jest to Earnest by Edward P. Rowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Nine, The Other Set. The minister and his wife were scarcely host and hostess on this occasion, as the self-appointed committee of ladies had taken upon themselves the duty. But like all corporations, this committee had no soul and a very indefinite body. No one knew just who they were or where to find them, and some of the members, in the bewilderment of unaccustomed official position and honors, seemed to have lost themselves, and bustled aimlessly all over the house. The more staid and practical sisters of the committee were down in the kitchen, breathlessly setting tables, which were almost as speedily cleared by people whose appetites were as keen as the winter night without i do declare ejaculated mrs gubbling as one devastating tableful rose lingeringly from the repast and another flock began to gather in hungry expectancy at the door i do declare i'm near beat out is this a starving community at this rate they'll eat up all there is in the house and the minister and his wife and babies into the bargain well said mrs ram conveying the last bit of corned beef which had been reluctantly left upon the plate as manners to a rather capacious mouth if they eat up some of the babies it wouldn't be so bad i don't see why poor ministers will have so many babies the lord takes care of em we don't suggested mrs gubbling we all do our part i suppose the worst of it is that it makes it uncomfortable for a church to give a small salary i wish our church was more uncomfortable then it's a shame we give mr glim only six hundred but come if we don't get another table set they'll eat us up i'd like to see em said mrs ram with a disdainful sniff well you'd be a bit old and tough chuckled mrs gubbling with the solace of this sally which seemed true if not true wit these hard-featured mothers in israel set about their tasks with the deftness that long experience gives at the time de forest conveyed the ladies into the hall the upstairs members of the committee were buzzing around somewhere else for there was no one to receive them they were gradually hustled or carried into the parlor or main room and here hemstead and harcourt found them in characteristic conditions addie's and de forest's elegant noses were decidedly retroussés bell appeared both disgusted and frightened while lottie's face wore an expression of intense and amused curiosity she was seeing the other set to her heart's content and all was as new and strange as if she had visited another land harcourt joined addie and they began to whisper satirical criticisms on the remarks and manners of those around hemstead's interest mainly centred in watching lottie and in noting the effect of her contact with plain and uncultured people he was glad he did not see the repulsion of a little mind and a narrow nature as was the case with most of the others though it was evident that she had no sympathy with them or for them there was an intelligent interest and wide-awake curiosity while the others were encasing themselves in exclusive pride she was eager to investigate and get en rapport with this new phase of humanity but trammelled by her city ideas she felt that she could not speak to any one without the formality of an introduction but the ice was broken for her unexpectedly feeling her dress pulled she turned and found a very stout old lady sitting near her who asked in a loud whisper been down to supper yet no said lottie i don't wish any 
I do, but I'm afeard I won't get none. You see, I'm big and clumsy anyway, and now I'm so lame with the rheumatiz that I can hardly move. It's too bad, said Lottie pathetically, but with a swift comical glance at the others. Yes, it's kinder orful to be so helpless, said the old woman, with a complacent sigh, delighted at having a sympathetic auditor. I'm dreadfully afeard I won't get no supper. I'm like the withered man at the pool of Bethesda. Whenever they are ready for another batch, while I'm a-comin', another steppeth down before me. Well, you're not very much withered. That's one comfort to be thankful for, said Lottie. I'd like to be thankful for my supper, if I could only get a chance, persisted the old woman. You shall have a chance. When is the pool troubled? When shall we put you in? There, now is the time, and her new acquaintance, dropping her affected and pious tone, and speaking with sharp eagerness. See, one batch is coming up, and another is going down. Mr. Hemstead, will you assist me in escorting this old lady to the supper-table? Hemstead's face was aglow with approval, and he instantly complied, while the others, understanding Lottie better, were convulsed with laughter. It was no easy thing for them, unitedly, to manage the hobbling mountain of flesh. When they came to the narrow stairway, matters were still more serious. "'You shall go first, whispered Lottie to Hemstead. "'For if she should fall on me, good-bye, Lottie Marston.' Hemstead patiently, carefully, and with the utmost deference, assisted the helpless creature down the stairs. "'You're as polite to her as if she were a duchess,' said Lottie in a low tone. "'She is more than a duchess. She is a woman,' he replied. Lottie gave him a quick, pleased look, but said, "'Such old-fashioned chivalry is out of date, Mr. Hemstead.' "'He is right, miss,' said the old woman sharply. "'I'm not Dutch.' Lottie dropped behind to hide her merriment at this speech, and Hemstead appeared, with his charge clinging to his arm at the kitchen door, which her ample form nearly filled. "'My sakes alive! Auntie Lammer, how did you get down here?' said Mrs. Grubbing. "'We hain't ready for you yet.' "'No matter,' said Mrs. Lammer. "'I thank the Marcies I've got down safe, and I'm going to stay till I get my supper.' "'Can I help you?' asked Lottie, glancing curiously around the room. They looked with even more curiosity at her, and a strange contrast she made in her rich and tasteful costume and rare beauty with those plain middle-aged hard-working women and the small dingy room. For a moment they stared at her without reply, then gave each other a few suggestive nudges, and Mrs. Ram was about to speak rather slightingly when good-natured Mrs. Gubling said, you are very kind, miss, but you don't look cut out for our work. Besides, my dear, it's an awful dangerous place down here. I'm afraid we'll get eat up ourselves before the evening is over. I'm sure you would be if you stayed. I wouldn't mind taking a bite myself. And the good woman and her assistants laughed heartily over this standing joke of the evening, while Auntie Lammer, seeing that Mrs. Gubbling was the leading spirit of the supper-room, quivered in all her vast proportions with politic and propitious mirth. All this was inexpressibly funny to Lottie, who had the keenest sense of the absurd, and with a sign to Hemstead she drew him away, saying, This exceeds any play I ever saw. I didn't know people who were not acting could be so queer and comical. Well, Miss Lottie, he said, as they ascended the stairs, I admit that humanity everywhere often has its ridiculous side, but I have been laughed at too much myself to enjoy laughing at others. And why should you be laughed at so much? 
I suppose it is the fate of overgrown awkward boys who have a tendency to blurt out the truth on all occasions. Such a tendency as that will always make you trouble, I assure you. It hasn't with you yet. Our acquaintance has been very brief. And yet I seem to know you so well. I would not have believed it possible in one short day. I think you are mistaken, but you have ceased to be a stranger to me. I have remarked before to-day that I knew you better than some I have seen from childhood. I am happy to say that I wish to conceal nothing. You can say that. Oh, I don't mean that I am better than other people, only that it's best to appear just what we are. People should be like coin, worth their face. I was in search of you, interrupted De Forest, as they stood talking a moment near the head of the stairs in the hall. We did not know but that the sylph you escorted away had made a supper of Hemstead with you as a relish. Have you seen enough of this bear garden yet? No, indeed, said Lottie. I'm just beginning to enjoy myself. From openly staring at and criticizing the party from Mrs. Marchmont's, the young people began to grow aggressive, and from class prejudices were inclined to be hostile. There were whispered consultations, and finally one habitué of the store and tavern thought he could cover himself with glory by a trick, and at the same time secure a kiss from Lottie, the prettiest. The conspiracy was soon formed. A kissing game in one of the upper rooms was suspended for a moment, and one of the tall girls accompanied him down as if they were a delegation, and on the principle that in designs against a woman a female confederate is always helpful in disarming suspicion. He approached Lottie with the best manners he could assume, and said, We are having some games upstairs. Perhaps you would like to join us. We'd like to have you. Do come, added the tall girl. They are real nice. Certainly, said Lottie, who was now ready for another adventure. Come, let us all go. The others needn't come unless they want to, said the young man, for he didn't relish the lawyer's presence, whom he knew by reputation nor the searching look of the tall stranger whom he did not know. "'Mr. Hemstead, you and Julian come,' said Lottie, and as they ascended the stairs she studied this new specimen of Scrub Oaks, who was a loafer of the village as De Forest was an idler of the town. They both belonged to the same genus, though the latter would have resented such a statement as the foulest insult. The manners and the smart finery of her new acquaintance amused Lottie very much. When they reached the room, they found it full of whispering, giggling young people. The tall girl, as instructed, said, Now let us form a ring with our hands on this rope. This having been done, she said, Now, Mr. Shab, you must go inside first. And then, with a nudge to Lottie, she explained, He'll try to hit our hands with this, and if he hits your hands, he will have to go inside the ring. What else he would do, she left to be disclosed by action. Then he, of the flaming necktie and bulging cheek, took his place with a twinkling eye that meant mischief. De Forest and Hemstead declined to play, but the latter slipped forward and stood near Lottie. He was not sure, but dimly remembered seeing this game before, when it was not played so innocently as the tall girl had described. The young rustic made extravagant but purposely vain efforts to strike the hands of others, and Lottie watched the scene with laughing curiosity. Suddenly he wheeled round and struck her hands sharply, and to her horrified surprise it seemed but a second later that his repulsive face was almost against her own. But something came between, and starting back she saw the baffled youth imprint a fervent kiss on the back of Hemstead's hand. 
there was a loud laugh at him from those who had expected to laugh with him he swaggered up to hemstead and said threateningly what do you mean what do you mean asked lottie confronting him with blazing eyes it is well this gentleman interposed if you had succeeded in your insult i should have had you punished in a way that you would not soon forget it's only part of the game he muttered abashed by her manner part of the game yes giggled the tall girl faintly it's a kissing game did you know it was such asked lottie indignantly of de forest and hemstead indeed i did not said de forest and if you say so i'll give this fellow the flogging anyway come right out and do it now was the pert response all i can say miss marsden explained hemstead that i suspected something wrong and took means to prevent it how these nice-looking girls can allow this fellow to kiss them is more than i can understand no lady would said lottie as she swept disdainfully out and under the withering influence of these remarks kissing games languished the rest of the evening and a few of the coarser-natured ones participating but soon the absurdity of the whole scene overcame lottie and she laughed till the tears stood in her eyes as they were slowly descending the stairs a faded little woman said i'm glad to see you enjoying yourself miss marchmont it was very kind of you and your party to come so far i am not miss marchmont said lottie though i came with her well as the minister's wife i would like her and all her party to know our grateful appreciation you thank us beyond our deserts but are you the minister's wife i am glad to make your acquaintance and she held out her hand which mrs Blim seemed glad to take at this moment there came the cry of an infant from one of the upper rooms oh there goes my baby said mrs Blim. i thought i heard it before and she was about to hasten on may i not go with you and see the baby asked lottie what mother ever refused such a request in a moment lottie was in the one small room in which on this portentous occasion the three younger children were huddled the others being old enough to take part in what to them was the greatest excitement of their lives thus far lottie looked curiously around with the quick appreciative eye by which ladies seem to gather accurately at a glance the effect of a costume and the style and character of an apartment and its occupants but she politely and from a certain innate interest gave such attention to the baby as to win the mother's heart it was but an ordinary baby although the fattest and sturdiest member of a rather pinched household but lottie wonderingly saw that to the faded mother it was a cherub just from heaven lottie could not understand it a perfumed baby in lace and muslin might be a nice pet if the nurse were always within call but the sole care of this chubby-cheeked moloch that would sacrifice its mother as unconsciously and complacently as the plant absorbs moisture seemed almost as prosaic and dreadful as being devoured alive does no one help you take care of that child asked she well my husband and the elder children help some haven't you a nurse for all these children no indeed it's as much as we can do to clothe and feed them don't you keep any servants at all yes we have a girl in the kitchen but she's almost as much bother as she is worth how do you get along i hardly know somewhat as the birds do out of doors are you happy i've hardly time to think i think i am though happy as most people 
some days bright some days cloudy and now and then a storm that's the way it is with all i imagine we have our crosses you know but by and by all will come right i should be cross enough with all your crosses they might make you patient the crossest people i know are those who shun all crosses now that i think of it i'm inclined to believe that's true said lottie reflectively then she whispered as she walked softly to the mother's side baby is going to sleep isn't it with different expressions they both peered into the full moon face two features of which the eyes were becoming obliterated by the white drooping lids lottie looked as if she were examining a zoological specimen mrs glim gazed with a smile of deep content and tenderness the undisturbed rest of the child upon her bosom was a type of her own mind at that moment she was nature's child god's child and the babe was hers to the true and simple children of nature who without thought of self or the public eye are quietly doing their duty these moments of peace with strange thrills of joy are constantly coming if this worn mother could look down upon the child and her plain pale face grow beautiful with spiritual light how must the god who inspires all love who is the source of tenderness have regarded her the expression of this woman's face puzzled lottie beyond measure it was so incongruous irreconcilable with the burdens the weary cares and ceaseless toil and anxiety of her lot it was so out of keeping with the noisy throng and confused bustle that filled the house and it dimly suggested to the proud bell a condition of mind before undreamt of in her philosophy some new and curious thoughts stole into her heart as she watched the mother slowly rocking backward and forward uttering a low crooning lullaby the gentlest sound that ever falls on mortal ears for some reason there came into her soul a sudden loathing of her own selfishness and callousness after the child had been laid in the cradle she asked what did you mean when you said it will all come out right some day well i suppose i meant that god's little children often get sorely perplexed with their cares and troubles in this world but when we get home and sit down to rest and think it all over it will then seem right home yes home in our heavenly father's house that's the only real home we have the only stop as the irish say here and there for a little while in this world and do you think of heaven as a pleasant home and rest after what seems to me your very hard life certainly how do you think of it well to tell the truth i have not thought much about it before mrs glim could reply there came anything but a heavenly interruption it was as if moses and aaron were within the cool and shadowy tabernacle feasting on spiritual manna and there came a delegation from the hebrew camp clamoring for the leeks and onions of egypt though the congregation often said it's a pity mrs glim is such a meek and quiet little woman and though the self-appointed committee of ladies was so large and the minister himself was downstairs yet when the first real emergency of the evening arose the upstairs members of the committee were helpless and the best thing mrs gubbling and the leading spirit downstairs could do was to slick up as she said and go tell the parson's wife but seeing mr glim on the way she beckoned him aside with a portentous nod he poor man heard her tidings with dismay he had fallen into the habit of taking all his difficulties either to the lord or to his wife 
and in this case he felt that both must come to his aid. With Mrs. Gubling he at once hastened to the nursery and entered rather abruptly. Mrs. Glim raised her finger impressively, then pointed to the cradle. "'But, my dear,' began her husband rather impatiently. "'Hush,' said the wife, in a low tone. "'Whatever's the matter, don't wake the baby, for then I can't do anything.' "'Mrs. Glim,' said Mrs. Gubling, "'they've eat up about everything there is downstairs, cept me. "'And there's three tables yet. "'It's such a fine night, and the sleighin's so good "'that lots more have come than we expected. "'I don't know how much money they brought, "'but they hain't brought provisions enough.' "'What shall we do?' asked Mr. Glim nervously. "'If it takes the last penny we have in the world,' "'said his wife with grave dignity, "'no one shall leave our house hungry.' You must step over to the store, Mr. Glim, and buy enough to satisfy everyone. I feel just as you do, my dear, he said, with the air of one who sees duty clearly, though it is far from being agreeable. Just give me our poor little hoard from your bureau drawer, and I'll go at once. Lottie witnessed the scene with mingled amusement and indignation, and then, her face aglow with a sudden purpose, sped away also. End of chapter 9